Hail and well met, everybody. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a show by nerds, for nerds, who love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather. I'm Russell. And we'll be your hosts for this journey through the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Geek Thyself. So we're officially starting a new season. Uh, For the moment, at least, I am going to be doing solo episodes. For anyone who's new to the show, my name is Heather. I'm your host. Normally, my friend and co-host Russell is joining me um, due to scheduling issues and family stuff and everything else. I'm going to be doing some solo episodes first. Uh, So to get us back in the swing of things, since it's been a little while since we released an episode, I wanted to start off with a topic that's near and dear to my own heart and that hopefully is to yours as well if you're listening to this. And that is potential dangers for pets. Now, given that Easter is coming up, I'm specifically focusing on Easter issues. However, please keep in mind that some of these issues could potentially be a problem for your dogs and cats even down the road. Uh, For anyone who has pets other than dogs and cats, I am focusing on dogs and cats specifically because those are the ones I am most familiar with. My day job is working as a manager at a veterinary hospital. However, we only see dogs and cats, not pocket pets like rabbits and rodents, and we don't see exotics like birds and reptiles. So I don't want to speak on those because I just don't know as much about them, and I don't want to accidentally give misinformation. Now, with that being said, I'm going to start off with issues that are kind of across the board for the cats and dogs, and then probably in the second half of the episode, I'm going to get more into problems that are either dog or cat specific. So to start us off, uh, problems that can occur, especially around Easter for cats and dogs, number one is the Easter candy baskets. Now, I know most people are aware that dogs in particular are very allergic to chocolate. It does vary depending on the concentration of the chocolate as well as the size of the dog. And there are some dogs who, for whatever reason, are not as sensitive to the chocolate. However, it's very hit or miss. So a generally good idea is just don't let them near the chocolate. This also goes for cats. Chocolate is also not good for cats. And so you do want to keep them away from it as well. However, beyond the candy that's in the baskets, which obviously we don't want the pets getting into. Another issue that's actually in some ways a bigger issue is the fake grass. Now you may be wondering why the fake grass is worse than the chocolate, which is toxic. The reason is because the fake grass, if ingested, can actually become tangled inside their intestines and cause major, major issues. Now what I mean by major issues is essentially it can cause depending on the kind of fake grass, it can cause an obstruction where it basically plugs them up and they can't get food to pass through their intestines normally. The reason this is a problem is because you then end up with them not being able to have everything pass through the way it's supposed to, so they won't eat. They won't eat, they'll often vomit because they're blocked and they can't get anything through their system all the way. They can't have a bowel movement and poop, and so everything just gets stuck and they get bloated and uncomfortable, and they'll refuse to eat. Obviously, refusing to eat can be a problem for a lot of reasons. The other thing that can happen with the fake grass, which is honestly more common of an issue, depending on the size of the pet, is that instead of having it become like a plug inside the gut, it actually causes their gut to sort of twist on itself, Um, which sounds horrible, but basically what happens 
the fake grass because it's very long and stringy, what can happen is that a piece of food or something like that lodges the one end of the fake grass. So basically it's like a string and it's caught on something. And that long string of fake grass then winds its way through the intestines until it gets stuck again. And because it's getting stuck in more than one place, the intestines end up sort of accordion, accordioning, I'm not sure that's a word, but they, they become twisted and they end up sort of um, cinched together like a waistband on your sweatpants. And as you can imagine, if things are cinched together that way, nothing can pass through properly. So that can become a very, very big issue. They call it a linear foreign body. And instead of, you know, just something simple like giving them foods and making them pass this, the fake grass, you've now ended up with something that is going to be a several thousand dollar surgery because your veterinarian uh, trigger warning for anyone who doesn't like hearing more in-depth medical stuff probably should have said that earlier but just so you know next few minutes i'm going to be describing what the surgeon has to do so if that bothers you skip ahead like five minutes so um for a linear foreign body surgery the veterinarian has to literally go in to their abdomen cut open the intestines in various locations and remove whatever is causing their intestines to become twisted and cinched together. The reason you have to go into multiple spots is because by the time their intestines have become twisted and cinched together like that, there's multiple locations where the long linear foreign body has become stuck and has to be removed in order to accomplish getting the intestines back to normal. For obvious reasons, this is a very long procedure. It's also very in-depth and expensive. You're definitely looking at several thousand dollars for the surgery, and that's not taking into account the aftercare. Um, and then in addition to that, the veterinarian has to stitch it all up. They, everything has to be done very carefully because you have to keep everything as clean as possible, especially when you're dealing with cutting open the intestines because you have the worry of sepsis afterwards. For anyone who's not familiar with it, sepsis is basically an internal and full body infection. So if someone becomes septic, it means they're, they're basically their whole system is infected and they need really strong antibiotics to even have a chance. Now, obviously your veterinarian doesn't want sepsis to occur. And so they're often going to put your pet on a lot of antibiotics out the gate. In addition to, you know, being as careful as possible during that surgery. It's also not a surgery that a lot of vets have to do regularly. So depending on your veterinary hospital that you frequently go to and what their facility is like and what their surgeon is comfortable doing, they may not even be able to accomplish it. And you might have to go to an emergency hospital. Now, all of this being said, I would strongly recommend if you know that your pet has gotten into that fake grass or honestly any long, thin string or anything like that that could become twisted like that in the intestines, it is strongly recommended to seek out your veterinarian and their advice as soon as possible. In some cases, especially if the, it's like a dog that's bigger, for example, like my two dogs are both in, their, in, in the 80, 90 pound range, for them depending on what it was, if they eat a mouthful of something, I don't have to worry as much because they're going to be able to pass it through because they're so large. In, ex in you know, contrast though, my cats, the biggest cat is only like 14 pounds. If he eats the same amount of stuff, he's going to become plugged up and or need surgery. So there's varying levels of worry depending on the size of the pet, but it is still 
I would still strongly, strongly, strongly recommend that if something like that occurs, that you talk to your veterinarian as soon as possible, because they are going to have a better idea based on the size of your pet and also what they ate, whether or not you need to immediately seek help or whether you can maybe go to them and there's medications we can give that'll force the pet to vomit so that they can get rid of whatever they ate. If your pet has eaten something within the last half hour, there is still a good chance that your veterinarian could use medication to cause them to vomit it up so that it doesn't get to their intestines. But you need to be really on top of it. So it, I'm talking, you know, you see your pet eat something you know is bad for it, you immediately call your vet and find out if you can take the pet down. And if they can't, then you could talk to them about, okay, well, who near me can I go to? Because the sooner you can get that dog or cat to vomit up whatever it ate, significantly higher chance of it not getting into the intestines and causing them a bigger problem that could be a $7,000 surgery, several thousand dollar surgery. Now that being said, depending on emergency fees, you are probably still looking at several hundred to get the vomiting situation to happen, but that's better than thousands and it's also much safer for your pet. So Easter baskets are bad for those reasons. <laughs> the fake grass is a big one. If you have to have fake grass in your Easter basket for whatever reason, I would definitely recommend doing the paper fake grass as opposed to the plasticky fake grass. The paper fake grass is still not great. And, you know, in particular, if a dog or cat eats a lot of it, it could still plug them up and cause the obstruction problem that I talked about before. However, because it's paper, your body can actually break it down a little bit. So the chances of having the linear foreign body issue decrease dramatically. Uh, now you might still end up with an obstruction that has to be surgically removed if they eat enough of it all at once, which, you know, obviously we don't want them to do, but it is less likely, not impossible, but less likely. Um, okay, so that was Easter baskets. Now, I mentioned Easter candy um, during that whole conversation, and that is still true. Easter candy, in particular chocolate, which is very, very popular, of course, for Easter, uh, is something that can potentially cause your pets a lot of problems. It is more of an issue for dogs than it is for cats usually, but that's honestly partly also just because dogs are more likely to eat random stuff than cats. <laughs> cats are a little pickier. Uh, doesn't mean they won't, but they, generally speaking, are a little pickier, so it's less likely to happen. Oh, and Mowgli has come to join me as I'm talking about pets. Uh, he might meow. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, so I would strongly recommend paying attention if you do get an Easter basket for your children, or even if you just happen to have some Easter candy around the house because you like it for yourself. Definitely you want to keep a very close eye on it and where it's located to help prevent your pets from getting into it. So that was Easter baskets and kind of number two, sort of Easter candy. Some of the other Easter candies like jelly beans and things, obviously it's not great for your pet to eat those, but also they're not inherently toxic depending on what's in them. Now, that being said, I will say if you are someone who tends to buy um, like sugar-free gums and or sugar-free candy, that no matter what the candy is, you need to be very careful with your sugar-free candies. Um, so this is sort of number two is candy. I talked about chocolate a bit already because of the baskets, but specifically sugar-free candy is a potential problem for them uh, because xylitol, which is a very, very common sweetener in sugar-free candies and gums is actually toxic to dogs. It can cause kidney failure. 
So you do not want them to get into those things. So if you know for a fact that you're going to be giving gum in your Easter basket or any kind of sugar-free candy, I recommend paying close attention to what's on the label and looking to see if it specifically mentions having xylitol. Uh, xylitol is spelled X-Y... Xylitol. X-Y-L-O... Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> I'm having a spelling issue today. Xylitol. X-Y-L-I-T-O-L. Xylitol. So if you see that, definitely don't want it anywhere near your pets. Now, it's hasn't been shown to cause as big a problem for cats as it has for dogs, but it still nonetheless is not good for them. So that's why I'm still grouping it into the dog and cat section is because we don't want them getting into it either. And honestly, beyond that, even if it's not sugar-free candy, just the sugar itself is not necessarily good for them any more than it is for us. Now, if they eat a jelly bean, you're probably fine. But do we want them to eat a whole bag of them? No. Plus, you have to worry about them eating the plastic from the bag in order to get to the candy in the first place. Moving on, other dangers are, uh, number three, Easter food in general. So during Easter, it's very common for us to eat a lot of ham. Um, there's often a lot of desserts and things like that. There's just generally speaking, a lot of food that we don't necessarily want the cats and dogs getting into. Now, one of the reasons I specifically mentioned ham is because ham is very, very, very high in sodium. Now for us, we're so large and our bodies process it fairly well. That as long as you're not eating an entire ham by yourself, you're probably fine. It, checking obviously what your doctor recommends for you, but in general, and the average healthy person can have some ham and that's no big deal. Just maybe don't eat as much salt later. For dogs and cats, however, again, partly because they're so much smaller and also partly because their nutritional requirements are different than ours, getting too much sodium can definitely throw their system off. And especially with cats and dogs, cats in particular, because they tend to be smaller unless you have a really tiny puppo. Um, Hi, Mowgli. <laughs> you run the risk of issues with them having way too much salt in their system, which then can then cause metabolic imbalances and cause them health issues, including potentially needing to go to the emergency room for fluids and or um, electrolyte supplements and things like that, depending on how much they got into and what they ate. So you definitely want to pay careful attention to things like the ham. Now, along those same lines uh, with food, if your family happens to do like some kind of turkey or roast chicken or anything like that for Easter, you want to be careful because you now have to worry about them getting into the bones. Now, I know a lot of people like to give their dogs bones. I actually do not recommend that for various reasons. Um, so this also goes into the food section. Um, for dogs and cats, bones can be a bigger problem. Now for cats, you're obviously probably not giving your dog or your, excuse me, your cat like a rib bone after you're done eating it, but they still could get into trouble if they run off with one of those bones and start gnawing on it for a couple of reasons. One is that bones can cause them teeth issues. So a bone is not actually, I mean, they chew them in the wild somewhat, but it's not really recommended for our house pets and everything because you can cause tooth fractures. So you can end up with them having cracked teeth in various locations because they've chewed on those bones, which are harder than they need to be for their teeth to keep clean and everything. So obviously we don't want to cause them dental issues if we can help it. In addition, in particular with poultry bones like chicken, duck, turkey, you have to worry about the fact that the bones splinter very easily into sharp points when they're chewing on them. So I know you you know there's 
talk of things like choking on a chicken bone, but in a, beyond choking on a chicken bone, which obviously we don't want, the bigger issue is actually that if they eat pieces of bone that are too large and too sharp, it can cause perforations or punctures or holes, whatever you want to call it, in their intestines and cause major issues. So as you can imagine, especially depending on the size of the pet, if they happen to swallow a sharp piece of bone, you then have to worry that that sharp piece of bone, because their gut is not going to digest it, it's going to just try to pass it through. But the problem is if that piece of bone is large enough, it could potentially stick out of the stool that's wrapping around it in their intestines and poke through the intestines and actually cause what's called a perforation or a, a hole, basically, in their intestines. Now, for obvious reasons, that can cause a lot of problems, not the least of which is sepsis that I talked about earlier, where they get basically a full body infection because all of the bacteria that's in their gut is not supposed to be loose inside their body. So for obvious reasons, this causes problems. Now, that's obviously a very extreme example. Um, other problems that you can run into with food, honestly, during any holiday, but just since we're talking about Easter, focusing on Easter, um, onions. Onions and garlic are generally not good for dogs and cats. It, onions in particular are very bad for dogs, so it's recommended to keep them away from it. But regardless, it's not a good idea for your dogs or cats to get into it anyway. Uh, there are other things food-wise that you should be paying attention to. They're not necessarily Easter specific, but just to give you some examples, um, grapes have a chemical in their skin that is toxic to dogs and cats can cause uh, anemia, hemolytic anemia, where basically their red blood cells burst. So you do not want that. <laughs> so keep them away from grapes, grapes and wine, anything like that. Wine actually is worse than grapes because there's a lot of that chemical in the wine and not to mention the alcohol. And then also keeping them away from raisins, anything with raisins, anything with raisins is very bad. Um, a handful of raisins could cause more damage to a dog than an entire bunch of grapes just because of how concentrated the chemical is because the raisins are so, um, so much more skin involved since it's the skin that's the problem. So pay very close attention to anything with raisins or grapes or wine, anything like that. Um, and then in addition, just the spices in general, there's not a ton of studies on every single spice in existence and how it will affect your pet. However, their bodies do not process things the same way ours do. Their bodies cannot filter out chemicals the same way ours do. So in general, it is a good idea to just not let them have people food unless it is rec being recommended by your vet. For instance, if they're telling you to put your dog or cat on a very bland diet like boiled chicken and rice. However, You'll notice I said boiled chicken and rice, as in boiled chicken with no spices on it and plain white rice, both very, very bland things that are easy to digest. And because there's no spices on it, you don't have to worry about the animal having a negative reaction to a spice. Now, that being said, some animals are chicken allergic or other protein allergic. So your vet may have a different suggestion in that situation, but that would be a conversation you have with them. Um, so talking about food, that's pretty much covers it. I mean, coffee, alcohol, yeast, all of those things can potentially cause them problems, but they're all not necessarily super heavily in Easter specific food you have to worry about. Just in general, don't let your animals do those things. Alcohol can cause them a lot of problems. Caffeine is not good for them. Um, and also yeast, you have to worry about the yeast, uh, fermenting in their gut and causing them to get alcohol poisoning. Keep in mind, 
even when you see videos online and you think it's funny because the dog is drinking beer, their bodies don't process things the same way ours do. And in addition to that, their bodies are generally smaller than ours. And so the amount of alcohol that an adult man can drink versus before he starts to have medical problems because of alcohol poisoning is significantly different compared to a small 14 pound cat, like my cat who just jumped off my desk or compared to a, you know, 30 pound dog. They are not going to be the same. Their bodies do not process things the same way ours do. And so any exposure to those sorts of chemicals could potentially cause them a lot of health issues. So moving on into the break and then second half of this episode, I'm going to focus more specifically on issues for dogs versus cats when it comes to Easter and keeping them safe. All right. So I will talk to you guys in a moment. Okay, everyone, welcome to the mid-roll. So normally I have Russ here to do this with me, so you're going to have to listen to me a lot today, unfortunately. But I want to start off by talking about our amazing sponsor, World Anvil. For anyone who hasn't checked it out, worldanvil.com is a website that lets you um, use all of its tools and tricks to just become the most robust and comprehensive world building and campaign management tool that honestly any of us at Nerdsmith have ever found. There are so many things you can do with it, even on just the free membership. If you sign up at worldanvil.com, you can create a wiki basically for your world that you're creating, whether it's a game or a book you're writing. You can also create timelines. You can create relationship links between two different individuals or between an individual of a country. You can link places with people. There's just so many things you can do and so many things you can build up to. And depending on how far you want to go with it, there are paid memberships where you can get even more features. The map features I know are very, very nice. So I definitely recommend you check out worldanvil.com. It is a fantastic resource for any of those needs. Our other sponsor that we absolutely love, and we talk about them constantly because their dice are so pretty, is Die Hard Dice. Now, for anyone who hasn't heard of Die Hard Dice, first of all, I don't know what you've been doing if you are in the gaming community, but their metal dice in particular are so nice, and they just make a great sound when you're rolling them around in your hand, too. Can't talk about it enough, but dieharddice.com. If you go there, you can check out all their amazing colorways. They have amazing metal dice. They have amazing resin dice. And um, for their metal dice too, I can't talk about it enough. I love this. They have sets where the D4s and the other sharp pointy (laughs) ends that, you know, you have to worry about stepping on if you're a gamer. Um, They've actually made it so that they're flat or rounded. So, I mean, it'll still hurt if you step on it. Not going to lie. It's a D4. It's basically a caltrop. But... It'll hurt less (laughs) and it also dents your table less if you happen to be rolling without a mat of some kind. Can't recommend them enough. They're gorgeous dice and amazingly nice people on top of it all too. So if you go there, you can use the code NERDSMITH to get 10% off your next purchase. And I definitely recommend you check them out. That's dieharddice.com. And with that, we're going to get back into the second half of the episode. Welcome back, everyone. Okay, so moving on to cat-specific and dog-specific issues. I'm going to start off with cat, just because my cat was just bugging me, as you guys all heard. If you hear, like, 
jingly tags and jumping up and down earlier in the episode. Uh, Sorry, there's only so much I can do. And if I don't let him in the office, he's going to scream at the door instead. Because, you know, cat. Now, that being said, for cat-specific Easter concerns, I mentioned a couple of them already. The Easter grass and things like that are obviously big ones. However, for something that's cat-specific, you also have to worry about stress. Generally speaking, dogs like people. In general, there's dogs that are exceptions, but in general, most dogs like people and they like being around people and they get excited to see new people as long as they're socialized properly. Cats, on the other hand, usually not so much. Now, every once in a while, you have a cat who does love people. My cat Mowgli, who is the one that was bugging me earlier in the episode, for instance, really likes when people come over. People come over and he wants to go over and sniff them and be like, ooh, who are you? Are you going to pet me? Are you going to give me stuff? My other cat, Cassidy, on the other hand, tends to prefer to hide, at least initially. Once things have quieted down and she's figured out that nobody's going to come chasing after her, then she'll come out and want some attention. But every cat's different. And there's a lot of cats who, when new people come over, they want nothing to do with them. They will go hide under something. They won't come out. They'll completely avoid everything. And that level of stress for them can potentially cause a lot of problems. So cats, unfortunately, you know, similar to some humans, internalize their stress. And it can actually cause, in some cases, medical issues afterwards. So if you happen to know that your particular cat is very stressed out whenever people come over, then I have a couple of recommendations. One is if you don't need to host, don't host. You know, if if someone else is offering to host or if someone else is talking about having people over, you know, unless there's a reason you need to host or really want to host, then letting someone else host so that your cat is not traumatized is a strong word, but is not stressed out more than they need to be is not a bad idea. Another option is talking to your veterinarian about medications that they may have that you can give your cat to reduce the stress. Now, there's different options. There are some medications you can give the pet. There's also things you can do, like um, I've mentioned it before in previous episodes talking about pets, but there is uh, products like Feel Away, where it's basically a plug-in that you can put in the house, like a Glade plug-in, and it releases the pheromone that it's a synthetic version of the pheromone that cats have in their cheeks. You know, when they're purring and rubbing on you and happy, that pheromone that they release has been synthesized and turned into a diffuser that you can put in. So sometimes things like that will help make your pet just, you know, less stressed. It's not perfect, but it sometimes helps. And then you don't have to worry as much about them stressing to the point where they make themselves sick. Now, additionally, what I would recommend is making sure that your cat has a room that they can go to that is just them. So whether it's a bedroom or a, you know, a back office or anything like that, whatever room you're going to use, pick a room and say, this room is off limits to all the guests. This room is the cat's room. Don't go in there. Leave them alone. Give the cat space because if it has a space where it can go hide and feel safe, it's less likely to become extremely stressed and then end up having issues later. Now, when I talk about health issues due to stress, I'm talking about there are some cats who, if they have urinary issues, some cats will end up with interstitial cystitis, where basically their stress manifests by causing them to have extreme bladder discomfort and pain. Some cats will stop eating. Some cats will vomit because they're having GI stress because they've internalized their stress that way. Some cats will just refuse to eat for a while because of everything going on. Like there's 
a whole slew of things um, that we obviously don't want for them to happen. And so stress is a big one. So if you're having guests over, please keep that in mind for your pet and see what you can do to alleviate some of that stress. You can also talk to your veterinarian and see if they have any ideas, or you could brainstorm with your family and try to figure out a way to give the cat a safe space to go. Or even just, even if you don't give them a safe space to go, maybe just put them in your back bedroom. You know, put the potty box in the attached bathroom, stick them in the back bedroom, put something in front of your door or a sign on your door that says don't go in here, make sure the kids can't go in if kids are coming over, things like that. Kids, in particular for cats who don't like people in general, kids are going to make them extremely stressed because children, even if they've been taught really, really well, don't always understand barriers that someone else is trying to put in place. And so they're not always going to understand that the cat doesn't want their attention. They see the cat, they want to pet the cat. They're young, they're learning. They don't like, depends on how old they are too. Obviously a 12 year old kid's going to understand more clearly in general that the cat doesn't want attention. A five-year-old is going to have a much harder time. So just keep that in mind when you're figuring out who's coming over to the house and what you're going to do for the cat. In terms of cat versus dog specific issues during Easter, honestly, I would say stress is probably one of the biggest ones for cats, which is why I started off with that. Now, another issue for cats specifically that you're going to be dealing with during any kind of an Easter situation is um, getting outside. Now, there's going to be a lot of in and out if you're doing like an Easter egg hunt at your house, for example. Uh, so making sure that you're keeping an eye on your cat if it's supposed to be an indoor-only cat. Because with all of those people, if they're stressed and there's people over and they're trying to find a place to hide, it is possible that they would run outside because they're trying to find a location that doesn't have a person. So keep that in mind if you're having people over as well. Uh, the biggest one, honestly, for cats that is cat-specific during Easter time is lilies. I have talked about this before. However, lilies in general are extremely toxic to cats. Now, there are specific families of lilies that are not. However, in general, in my personal opinion, I would recommend just don't have lilies in the house, period. Unless you are going to specifically look up every single type of lily that is coming into your house, it is not worth the risk. Because even just chewing on a leaf from a lily plant that is one of the toxic species, will cause your cat to go into acute kidney failure. And kidney failure cannot be reversed. So once their kidneys are no longer functioning normally, there is nothing we can do to fix the kidney and make it function normally again. What that means is that you have, by introducing a plant and letting your cat chew on it, or, well, not letting necessarily, but, you know, having the cat chew on that said plant, and cause themselves kidney failure, that cat now has one of its major organs that will not function for the rest of their lives, however long that may be. And in severe cases, depending on how quickly and how severe the issue occurs, it can be fatal. So I cannot stress enough, do not bring lilies into your house. And if you have to bring a lily into your house for some reason, look up whether it is toxic. I will say also just plants in general, any kind of Easter flowers or bouquets or anything like that, I don't recommend bringing them into your house unless you have already checked whether or not they are toxic to your pets. To give you guys an example, my husband and I have some houseplants around the house. Um, specifically, we keep them all in his office. 
there in his office because we don't let the cats in his office and because he likes plants. But even with them be closed off in his office where we don't let the cats go, I still will not let him bring one into the house that is toxic to cats or dogs because there is a chance that one of the cats could get into his office, which has occurred before, and chew on one of his plants, which has occurred before. And we don't want them having severe medical issues because of one of the plants. So the only plants we have in our house, even though they're behind a closed door, are ones that I know are not going to cause my cats or dogs severe medical issues. Now, it is plant matter. They're not really supposed to eat it regularly. So do they still vomit it up? Yeah, they do. It happens when they eat them. However, I don't have to worry about any of those plants causing my cats to go into kidney failure. And that's what I care about. So I'd strongly recommend paying very close attention to any plant life that is coming into your house during Easter because lilies are very, very, very popular in Easter bouquets and Easter arrangements. You know, Easter lilies. It's in the name. The problem is they're toxic and they will cause your cat to have kidney failure and there's nothing you can do to fix it. So... That is like the big red flag, gigantic cat issue that I definitely recommend you pay very close attention to during Easter. Moving on from cats with our last little bit of the episode, I'm going to talk about dog specific stuff during Easter. So I mentioned it somewhat earlier with the food, but number one would be foods. (laughs) Now, I know I mentioned food already as being a problem during Easter for cats and dogs. I'm bringing it up again specifically for dogs because let's face it, dogs are more likely than a cat, generally speaking, to go diving into the trash can. They're more likely than a cat to go after food where they're not supposed to get into something and then make themselves sick. Now, where I'm going with this is that I would strongly recommend, especially if you happen to know that your dog is one of those dogs who will get into things, make sure that you are taking the trash out. I'd also recommend that if you have like chicken bones or turkey bones or, you know, meat or onions or like anything like that, that you're throwing away in the trash can as you're cooking or after you're cooking, ideally make sure you're throwing it in a trash can that has a lid and make sure that you are taking it out of the house as soon as possible. If you know that your pet is one who might get into it, because if you leave it in the house overnight and the dog gets into it overnight, well, Now, unless they happen to wake you up when they knocked everything over, you don't know when they ate the items, you don't know exactly what they ate, and you're going to be rushing, well, hopefully rushing your pet to an emergency hospital to get checked because they might have ingested three or four things that are toxic and you just don't know. Additionally, again, more dog-specific and food-related, I would recommend that if you do give your children any kind of an Easter basket, do not let them take the Easter basket somewhere in the house. I know ideally we want the kids to have some independence and get to take care of themselves and depending on age and everything, but generally speaking, children are not going to pay as close attention to where they have put their candy in terms of can the dog get it. There's probably exceptions. If your child happens to be one, then that's fantastic. But this is just sort of a generalization because that's all I have to work with since I can't individually talk to each of you. So my generalization would be, do not let your children run off with their candy baskets because maybe they hide a piece of chocolate somewhere for them to eat later and the dog gets it. You know, especially with their noses, dogs can find a lot of stuff and they can get into a lot of things. Or, you know, 
Maybe they put their Easter basket on top of the table that's in their room, but it's, you know, a kid-sized table. So your big golden retriever comes in, smells the candy that's sitting at eye level, and gobbles it all up. And now suddenly you have a dog who's eaten a bunch of tinfoil wrappers and chocolate and who knows what else, depending on what was in the basket. And you've got to rush them to the hospital. There's just, it's not worth it. It's much better to make sure that you're keeping track of where those items are and putting them up high enough that the dogs and cats can't get into them. I would strongly recommend that. Now, it is more of a dog-specific issue, again, because generally speaking, dogs are the ones more likely to go after those things. That's not to say that cats won't, but generally speaking, cats will be more likely to go after the human food bits, like chicken bits afterwards and meat bits and juices and things like that. So you still want to keep an eye out for that for cats, but in particular, the candy baskets for dogs are a concern. Um, moving on, I mentioned it earlier, but for dogs also with the food-related issues, xylitol. Xylitol is a big one, so if you're using any sugar-free candy or gums or anything, keep an eye out for that. Um, also, for dogs, specifically for dogs, it's another food-related one. There's a lot of food ones for the dogs with Easter, just because they like to eat things they're not supposed to. The eggs. Now... As far as foods that they could eat go, a hard-boiled egg is not the worst thing that your dog could eat. However, with eggs, um, there are certain chemicals in the egg white. There are certain chemicals in the egg that are specifically not good for animals to eat if they're raw. And so... If they're hard-boiled and you know they're fully hard-boiled, it's less of an issue because they're fully cooked through, so you don't have to worry about that chemical. However, if the dog smells the eggs and tries to eat a whole egg, you still could potentially have issues. For one thing, if the dog tries to swallow the egg whole, you might worry about them choking. Now, I, in general, most dogs are probably not going to try to swallow a whole egg. They're probably going to try to chew it. But then again, you have to worry about the eggshells causing them problems, not only because of the sharpness of the eggshell, which could potentially damage their stomach, mouth, throat, gut, all of it, anything that it passes through, because they're not really supposed to be eating that. But also, you have to worry about them um, getting whatever food dye is on the outside of the egg. Now, hopefully you are using food dye that is, you know, food safe for those eggs, one of the kits or something and not painting them. But if the egg is painted, you have to worry about whatever's in the paint. Um, again, you have to worry about them eating a whole egg, which could really mess with their GI tract depending on the shell and how much it bothers them. Like a tiny dog is less like is more likely to have an issue with sharp pieces of shell just because their bodies are smaller and can't, you know, they can't process things as easily uh, when there's big chunks of stuff. However, at the same time, they're probably also more likely to crack the egg open and chew at it instead of trying to, you know, take huge bites of it. So there's there's a lot of factors. But yeah, the Easter eggs themselves could potentially be a problem. Now, with plastic Easter eggs, you might have to worry less for dogs, which I think a lot more people are doing the plastic Easter eggs nowadays and then putting candy and stuff in them. But then again, you need to keep an eye on your eggs, even if they're plastic, because if your kids miss one, and there's chocolate in it, you have now basically left a little plastic container of toxicity sitting in your backyard for your dogs to find later. So I strongly recommend if you're putting out plastic eggs that have a bunch of candy 
in them, especially if there's chocolate in them. Make sure you know exactly how many eggs the kids are supposed to find. And also make sure you know where they are. Um, obviously, depending on the age of children and how well you're trying to hide these eggs, that can be a little trickier. But I do just strongly recommend keeping a real close eye on it because if you do miss an egg, if they miss an egg, and it's sitting outside with chocolate in it, you've now potentially exposed your dog to chocolate because it's, you know, even if your kid can't see the egg, chances are high your dog is going to smell it and go after it. And you've now given them access to chocolate or some other toxic candy potentially. So please keep that in mind. The Easter eggs themselves are also an issue. Plus with bigger dogs, if they chew on the egg, like chew on the Easter egg, then you have to worry about them getting those plastic bits, which can cause them issues and get stuck in them and things like that. So it's just not a good idea in general. Make sure you know how many eggs, make sure you get them all because then you don't have to worry about it for them after. Okay, and then the last thing that I have that is dog specific for you, it's similar to some of the cat ones, but it has to do with stressors. Now for dogs, the stressors are not necessarily gonna be the same. In general, dogs like people. They like being around people. They like attention, things like that. There's exceptions, of course. There's more nervous dogs. But in general, most dogs like people. That being said, if they are a dog that happens to be one of the more nervous ones, then obviously giving them a safe space away from everyone so that they're not constantly having to be in the middle of everything is definitely strongly recommended. You can talk to your doctor, your veterinarian, I should say, about different drugs for the dog to keep them less stressed. I mentioned it earlier, but if it's possible, if you don't need to host, let someone else host. I know there's a lot of people who enjoy hosting and that's great, but if you happen to be one of those people who loves hosting but also has a dog or cat that becomes extremely stressed by having people over, then you may want to take that into account when you're trying to figure out who's hosting for the holidays and also whether or not you need to plan things ahead with your veterinarian. I can tell you for a fact there are lots of drugs that can be used for dogs, especially for stress and anxiety, but if you don't talk to your veterinarian about it and get those medications and give it to your dog, then they don't help. So you have to actually talk to your veterinarian about that option. In addition, um, with people coming over, if you're looking at lots of kids, especially coming over, then obviously one concern is potentially the dog getting outside. I mentioned it with cats. With dogs in particular, the getting outside can be an issue because, you know, obviously we keep a lot of our dogs. Cats sometimes are indoor-outdoor cats, but a lot of dogs are primarily indoor or in your backyard. And if they go somewhere else, you've got them on a leash. Now, some dogs are better behaved than others. If you have a really well-trained dog that's not going to go anywhere, then this is not an issue for you. I myself, both of our dogs are, they're, they're pretty well-trained, but they still are the kind of dog who... If the front door is left open and they're excited by something, they are going to dart out the front door and go chasing after something. And they're not necessarily going to listen to me as well when they're that amped up and excited. So if you have people constantly coming in and out of the door, you're going to want to keep an eye on the pet, on your dog, and make sure that they're not getting out that front door. Additionally, if you know there's going to be children coming over who may be constantly going in and out, it is not a bad idea to, even if you don't normally use them because you don't always have kids at the house, Look at getting some child safety precautions that prevent the kids from opening the door. So, for example, um, I know they make uh, a lot of child safety lock stuff that prevents them from opening front doors and back doors. You may want to look into getting a couple of those just to use when you have family over. Because, you know, maybe your 12-year-old grandchild 
knows how to prevent the dog from getting out the front door. But your five-year-old grandchild, eh, maybe not so much. You know, it's not that they're not paying attention, but they're also a lot smaller. So your dog may be able to push past them. There's tons of factors. So definitely not a bad idea to have something in place. You know, whether something that the older kid who's better at keeping the dog inside can open, but the younger kid will have to ask for help, things like that. It also, in general, would help prevent you from having to worry about the child going out the front door when there's that many people over at the house. Because if there's enough people that you can't keep track of everybody easily, then making sure the kids don't get out front without supervision is also very good. That's not really pet safety related directly, but, you know, nonetheless, children, we want children safe too. So definitely something to keep in mind. All right. Uh, So this episode got to be (laughs) about 45 minutes or so. I'm going to go ahead and call this good. I may have missed some of the dangers. These are the ones that I could think of when I was coming up with a list before starting the recording. Um, If I did miss one that you know of, then, you know, please feel free to comment or respond on the episode. We always love to hear feedback. Um, Hopefully Russ will be back recording with me soon. We are going to be continuing with our every other week recording is the plan. It may be just me for a while while he's still getting everything figured out but hopefully we'll have Russ back soon um I know I'm just talking to him as much as you guys was hearing him and with that I'm gonna call this episode good so uh hopefully everything was helpful for you hopefully it was entertaining and um please just don't forget to geek thyself Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. Don't forget to check out all the other amazing content on the Nerdsmith Network. If you have any questions for either of us, you can get in contact with us on Twitter at geek underscore thyself. You can also email us at geekthyself at nerdsmith.org. And please don't forget to go to iTunes and leave us a review or also go anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We'll be back next week with another informative and fun episode. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself. Bye.